Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Not live today, folks, but we have a special guest with us today. He is David Morris. He's the founder of Quarterback Country, the premier quarterback training facility and organization in the country. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino with you. Uh, then we're going to do our defensive over-unders here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. No phone calls, but we'll have a full show for you today getting ready uh, for this beautiful June weekend in the summer. David, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dettino here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Good to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm great. John, Paul, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to, to be on the show. Thank you for being with us. Let's start here. Uh, you have a long-standing relationship with Daniel. Can you just tell the fans kind of how it came about, how long you've been working with him, and kind of what your mission with him has been o- over the years? Sure, yeah. So Daniel's dad, Steve, reached out to me, I want to say right after Daniel's freshman year in high school. Um, so I was going into his sophomore summer. And they're, you know, from Charlotte and, um, and he said, Hey, we, we want to come down. I got a, uh, I got two sons and want to bring them down. And, uh, so they came down that first time and, uh, and that's kind of when the relationship started, uh, you know, it's inter- interesting. Daniel would, would come down a lot by himself, uh, jump on a plane that morning, get here, we'll train all day. And he may, you know, t- take the, the PM flight out to back to Charlotte. And so, you know, from an early um, from an early uh, stage, I kind of understood how eager he was. But uh, yeah, this relationship goes back a long ways, and um, really proud of, of of Dan. So I'm going to connect the dots here uh, from from your early times knowing him, and there's a connection between Eli, and there's a connection with Cutcliffe, and this all kind of kind of combines to form what has been a long-standing relationship. What is it about the Cutcliffe-Manning tree, if you will, that makes yeah. guys who come from that circle so special and, and so fit to be NFL quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, Coach Cut tells you early on, he, he was my coach. Uh, he came in right after my true freshman season, actually, like right before the bowl game. So it was prior to Eli's uh, first year. I think right off the bat, what you realize with Coach Cut is – he tells you early on it takes a lot to be a quarterback, and um, this position is just different. It requires more. Uh, there's a standard of excellence, um, and then I think there's just such a deep dive when, when you get in with Coach Cut. 
uh, obviously the Manning family, there's, um, there's a seriousness uh, about, um, you know, knowing what it takes to, to be successful at this position. Um, and then I think that you, you got to be a guy that knows that and coach cut will, will tell you this early on. And, you know, you know, obviously Peyton, Eli, uh, Daniel have done an incredible job with this is, uh, you're always a quarterback, you know, when you step off the field, it doesn't stop. And there's the leadership expectation, uh, the discipline, the responsibility, um, uh, be, being, you know, a good teammate and uh, and being one of the guys. That's just as important, too. So I think I think there's just a standard that you kind of understand very early with, with Coach Cut that uh, this thing, this thing is a little different. Before we start talking about this offseason, uh, David, and, and we'll talk about your relationship with Eli, too, at the end. What has been your focus with Daniel, you know, kind of since you got your hands on him, since he's got to the Giants and the areas that you've worked with him on that you've seen really the most improvement? Uh, Daniel's always wanting to improve. And I don't think it's one thing. I mean, I think I think early on, you know, when we did draft prep, it's like, hey, let's let's get ready for the process. You know, there, there's a couple stages. You get the combine and pro day, uh, senior bowl, obviously. Uh, and, then, and then you got OTAs and, and rookie mini camps. So there's just different things you're getting ready for. Uh, so that first year was was kind of that, and, and it's intense, right? And then every year um, forward, you're always you're always trying to grow in every aspect, and that means above the neck, um, you know, kind of growing, growing, and maybe hey, how can I anticipate a, a short intermediate throw better? Uh, how can I have more touch? How can I anticipate uh, maybe a back shoulder or a fade ball? you know, uh, how can we get stronger? Uh, so I think, I don't think it's one thing. And I even think, you know, this off season, you know, Dan's in the same space. Like, hey, how can I get faster? How can I, um, you know, uh, how can I get stronger? How how can I become more accurate? You know, 67% last year, he's, you know, as he can be better. And, and and there's, you know, he's, he hadn't reached a ceiling. So I just think that his, again, he's eager to, to grow in every aspect of it. And um, it's not just one thing, right? It's not just like, Hey, I, I would love to, you know, kind of, get better with my intermediate drops or, or anticipation or timing. It's just, just kind of all of it. And, you know, I, heck, I got a text from Dan last night about, you know, a mechanical thing. And he's just always thinking just, Hey, Hey, how can we get better here? <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this then, David. Uh, we know that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka came into the giants last year and everybody spoke about how that system will be better for Daniel Jones than the one he was working under before. And we know when he first got here, actually, he did well with uh, with Magadou. What is it about Daniel Jones that will be better in year two under Kafka and Dable? Is there something about the way they run their offense that suits his style perhaps even better than any of the other coaches he's had before? Yeah, I think, I think um, obviously – Kafka and, and Dave will have a ton of experience in the quarterback uh, you know, world, and, and they they know how to coach a quarterback. They know, they know how to call it. Situa- situationally, I think they're putting you know, put Daniel in good situations last year, and I think there's a lot of trust there, right? You know, heading into year two, I think year one, you're always trying to earn the the the, uh, the trust, earn the respect of you know your coach, or or in, in your respect, or or in the other side of the token, you know, the coach kind of trying to earn the respect of the player. I think in year two, there's a, there's a comfort level and there's a there's a respect and there's also familiarity. I think in any relationship, if you got familiarity and you you know you kind of know how he's thinking and vice versa, I think that that that's a win. And I, you know, look, I think in in anything, you're going to be better the second go around than you are the first. So I, I would think that there's going to be you know upper tick here for sure. 
having been in that system now for a second year, David, and, and living through it for a year, right? Was he and you able to have a better focus on some of the areas you wanted to work on this offseason, knowing exactly what Dable, Kafka, and the offense was asking of Daniel to do? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, mean, I, I know I know my role, right? When he comes down to Mobile or when I'm up there, you know, there's certain things that we really work on. And, uh, you know, those guys are great coaches. And, and, and you know, I try not to overstep our, my boundaries at all, and we never do. And so I think there's a great – you know, when Daniel's here, we're really working on – um, mechanical things. We're working on performance type things. Uh, sure. We're work. We do. We do work on mindset. We do work on. We do watch film and make sure we, you know, um, are on time in certain situations, third and short or red zone or whatever. But like, I, you know, at the end of the day, like he's got those guys, you know, to to really uh, lean on and, and and understand that you know he's gonna he's gonna be in a great position and he knows what they want. So you know, we get into X's and O's for sure. But like, you know when he's here and most of the time what we're talking about it, it is kind of performance or physical things. David, what about physically? We saw a change in Daniel last year physically where it looked like, you know, he got stronger and a little yep. bit more husky, if you will, put yep. on a little bit more weight. Obviously he runs the ball an awful lot with the giants. Maybe they'll have better weapons to complement him. So he won't have to run as much this year. At least that's my hope. But having yeah. said that physically, did he change anything about his body this year compared to last year? You know, I think you're always evolving and growing and thinking. I think what Daniel's done a great job of is he knows who he is. Right. And I, I think that, Every year in the league, I think you you're a young you're a young quarterback, right? And then every year in the league, you you, you remember more and more who you are, and um and you early on you're somewhat intimidated, probably, right? I mean you're you're behind a Hall of Famer, and um and he you know Eli did it a certain way, um and you want to take as much from that and learn as much from him as you possibly can. Same token, you you, you always want to remain true to who you are and how you do it and how you think and how you train and how you. You know, you do it your way. And so I think there's just a great balance there. Um, he's been fortunate to be around, you know, uh, incredible you know, coaches, um, incredible, um, you know, a Hall of Famer quarterback, you know, kind of see how Eli did it. And Eli's process is one of the best. So I think Daniel's, you know, physical, um, you know, kind of physicality and, and his, his speed, his, his quickness and stuff, it's, it, you know, he understands that Daniel's not – uh, Josh Allen. He's not Mahomes and he's not Tom Brady. He's not Drew Brees. He's not Eli Manning, but he has his own little style. And I think what he really wanted to double down on this year is, Hey, I, how can I be, you know, a better runner? How can I be quicker? How can I be more twitchy? How can I, you know, um, you know, maybe, you know, take care of, uh, or, or take a hit better. And, and, and he was really good about that last year, yeah. right? Like last year, I felt like he avoided the big hit Whereas in the prior years, I'm always, you know, watching those games and I'm just like, hey, man, you know, you get can down. get out of bounds. You can slide. Yeah. And so I think he learned that, right? He's like, hey, if I want to play in a long time in this league, I got I to gotta not take those big hits. And so I think, again, but I do think, I think this season, this offseason, he's really, he's kind of doubling down on who he is and what his strengths are. And uh, and, and then he has worked on some inefficiencies uh, within his body, let's say, that I think is are going to pay dividends. Talking about the physical stuff, David, one thing I feel Daniel's always been good at. I remember when he was drafted, we had David Cutcliffe on. He talked about 
how he felt like he had, had the hands of a shortstop, right? And his ball handling was excellent. And I think we've seen his ability to kind of run that read option, get the ball into the running back, bring it out. He's been very effective with plays like that. Is that something that he's always been a bit of a natural at in terms of executing that type of ball handling with the read options and the other play action stuff the Giants do? Or is that something that you have really worked on with him as a focus that's gotten him to the point where he is now, where I really think he's one of the best in the leagues in executing those type of plays? Yeah, he's always been a great athlete. He was a great basketball player. He was a great high school quarterback, late bloomer. You know, first time I saw Daniel, I want to say he was 6'2", you know, literally probably 155. I mean, I got some funny videos I could send you, uh, b- blackmail. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, just, just you know, skinny and, and long, but he wasn't 6'5 yet, you know. And, um, and, and even, even when he got to Duke, he was, you know, probably 6'4", you know, he wasn't 200 pounds. He was 190 pounds. And, He's up around 230, 225 to two, you know, he kind of ranges in, right in there. And so he's gotten bigger. Um, I, I just think that um, when you're, when you're trying to understand that you're a runner, you gotta, you gotta make sure I can take a hit, but you also gotta make sure that I can run fast. And so there's a, there's a balance there between how, how much weight you want to gain. Uh, there's also a balance on, you know, uh, how, how many hits you want to take. So, uh, but, but I do think that, um, he's always been a natural athlete. And now it's about, hey, can I, how can I be an effective runner in this offense and, and you know, and get up after that hit and, 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 and play that next play? So it's, there's a lot there, and we do work on it. But he's, he's working on his change of direction. He's working on his linear speed. Um, and he's gotten better there in both those uh, components. And, and uh, again, like, you know, he's not going to take a day off. He's always thinking about how I can grow there. David, I remember when he came out of Duke, there were critics who said maybe he didn't have the long ball necessarily that would be as strong as as you would want coming into this league. Yet, from the day he got to the Giants, we've seen he had that long ball capability. Did yeah. you specifically work on anything to increase his arm strength that allowed him to show that when he got to the NFL? Absolutely. I mean, we always work on it. Um I think there's two ways you hear a critique. At first, you're kind of offended. And you're like, these guys don't know what they're talking about. And the second thing is, like, you make allowance for some of it. Um, and I think there's, you know, that's that's part of being a, a competitor and, and being a self-critiquer. So, first of all, he has he has a strong arm, and he does throw one of the best deep balls in the league. Throwing the deep balls is about timing. It's not about arm strength, ultimately, right? It's like about can you throw it on time, hit a guy in stride, course there's the breakdown play where you got to throw it 65 and he can um he's thrown the ball over 70 yards before in a training setting so he has plenty of arm um he's always eager to get stronger and he you know and i think one of the things that that we're always working on is you know can you throw a deep ball flat can you throw a deep ball with arc can you throw a deep ball on the run can you throw a deep ball on the run on a pull-up uh can you throw a deep ball on a scramble on a skate you know, there's just a million ways to throw it. And, and I think, you know, if you want to get better at it, you train all those um, uh, different environments. And, and he's, he does a great job of that. He's working. He's always working on that. I think early on we heard that through the draft process. We knew it was a little silly, and, but at the same token, like we wanted, we wanted to disprove it. And we, and we, and, you know, Daniel did like, whether it be, I mean, at pro day, I want to say we had 16 deep balls, and, you know, he threw it over 60 yards from the line of scrimmage several times. And there was an emphasis on, hey, this guy can really throw it. 
and and he can throw it deep and he can throw it from left hash to sideline. So I think Dan's always wanting to grow there, but you know it, it, that that kind of uh, that kind of rubbed us the wrong way, and it probably has for a while. Same token, we were working at it. A couple of things, David, we've noticed that that he's really gotten better at is making some of those off-platform throws and throwing on the move. Has that been a focus of things you've worked with him on? And and how do you train that sort of stuff? Because I feel like a lot of that is, to your point on my previous question with the ball handling, is just kind of instinct and being a natural athlete, right? No, no question. Yeah, I mean, I think you train off-platform throws. So so I think there's four or five different training um, uh, compartments. So you, you want to understand, you know, the drop you want to understand movements so there's a lot of walk through talk through and then there's ideal or even a jog through right um and then there's a contested pocket right or environment um and then there's the worst case scenario domain where, where you got to live there because the pocket is is, is ugly so i think you, you got to do all of them and i think if you the more you train contested or worst case the more familiar you are with it and also the more uh, normal it seems so you normalize an environment that is really you know if you don't train it often it, it shocks you and now there's there's no training like the live bullets but yeah we're, we're constantly working off platform we're constantly working um unorthodox alignment we're constantly working different slots just because it happens uh and so same token we're constantly you know slowing down that eager guy and saying hey slow down walk through it if you can't walk through it and think through it, then it's going to be hard to master full speed, right? And so I think I think all that stuff is real. And I think um, the student, you know, and, and that's what Daniel is, like he, he gets all of it. And, and I, th- I think he understands there are different speeds and there are different days when you do different things. Um, and some of it is very routine and sometimes boring, but that's how you get really good at what you do. I'm sure that you're constantly looking at video during the season of him so that when you get him in the offseason, you've got some things that you you want to focus in on. But from the fans in the stands perspective or from the fan watching on television, is there something that they might be able to see and identify about his play this upcoming season that will be an improvement that you've given him? I think there's a natural progression you know, you, you look at just accuracy from from his first year. I, I want to say he was, you know, six, 62 or 62 mm-hmm. percent. Then he's 62 and a half. Then he's 64. And now he's, he was 67 last year. I think he's going to be at 70 this year. Uh, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's going to uh, I think they, they're going to have more targets. Uh, I think that he's going to you know, they're going to be in position to do more things on offense. Um. I do think that you'll see a guy that that is is very confident, and I think even that is always growing. You know, I think I mean, you look at back at anybody's rookie year, I mean, you're figuring it out. Uh, you look back at their second year, you're making sure you put an exclamation point on it, and then and then there's there's changes and there's staff you know um, uh, mix ups and all that. So I think that you're just going to see a confident guy again uh, that, that anticipates, and you saw that last year, three to one touchdown interception ratio last year, and you're always wanting to get better there. I mean. You know, let's be four to one this year. That's how you win football games. You take care of the football and you, and you have completions and, uh, and and especially down in the red zone. So, um, again, you know, you took care of the football last year and uh, that, that'll that'll uh, remain uh, something that's very important always. And so I, I don't know that you're going to see one major change. I think you're going to see a confident, uh, precise 
uh, you know, accurate guy that anticipates. Dave, I have a general scouting question here for quarterbacks. As someone that has their foot in, in the pro and, and college ranks now, and you get these guys ready for the NFL. When Paul and I sit down and we do a lot of draft work every year, we try to figure out what quarterbacks are going to translate well, right? In your experience as a trainer, what are some of the things for a quarterback that are easier to improve if, from college to the pros, where if you see somebody and you see a deficiency, look, if they work on that, they can get better at that. We have confidence that he can improve in those areas. And what are some of the areas that it's really hard to train a quarterback up in that maybe is more kind of just what they are and it's tough to improve in those areas? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I think if I knew the answer completely, you know, I think, I think I'd be, I'd be busier. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I think, I think ultimately you're not, I think you can improve accuracy, but you kind of are accurate or you're, or you aren't. Um, I think accuracy and Daniel's accurate. He's always been accurate. I remember when he first came down, you know, this is the first thing you recognize. Okay. That tall lanky sucker's accurate. And he is little, he looked like a, he looked like Bambi back then maybe, but like, but he was accurate. And so you, so you, you know, you, you um, refine and you, you get more compact and now you got, Whoa, now he's strong and, and accurate. So I, I think, you know, some of the stuff that's hard to improve. Um, I think, I think you, I think the more reps you get, you know, the more you become a better anticipator. Uh, but some of that anticipation comes back to like, it's like, man, guys that played starting in third or fourth grade, they just, there's a confidence level there. They pull the trigger. They, they know when to pull the trigger. And, um, and I, I think sometimes, so the confidence thing is, is harder uh, to, uh, to, to make sure that somebody really believes. I mean, I can, I can encourage someone but, but like, I can't make you believe in yourself, you know? So I think, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, are they authentically confident? And, um, and you, you can fake that stuff, but you get exposed at this position for better and worse. Right. And so I think that ultimately like, like the accuracy, accuracy thing, you can get better at it, but like you are, or you aren't the catchable ball, right. That the, the placing exactly where you want it. Um, and then, and then I think confidence, like, it's like, those are the two things, like I, I can help you with it and we can read, you know, inspirational things and, and challenge your belief system and all that. But ultimately, like, do you believe in yourself? And, um, I think you see quarterbacks that really believe and that they overachieve when they do. And then you see guys with all the skill set in the world and they just don't really believe. And maybe the guys around them don't believe, uh, in, in that guy. And so I don't think you can fake confidence for a long time. Paul, I want to follow Final up real quick on that one, if oh, you don't mind, Paul, real sure. fast. Sure. How about seeing it, David? Because I feel like a lot of, you know, and that comes with yeah. reps too, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Quarterbacks talk about things slowing down for them, right? Yeah. Are there some guys where it's just tough for them to get it to slow down and it's just always fast? And then it's tough to anticipate. It's tough to do some of those yeah. quarterback things you're talking about. Absolutely. I think I, I do think the guy that's played it for a long time gets it. We always say there's kind of book smarts at quarterback and street smarts. And right. sometimes there sometimes there's like the guy that just has played it forever. He doesn't know if it's quarter, quarter, half or or cover three. But he sees but it. He just he sees it. He knows space. He knows, oh, that safety's moving and therefore there may be a flat defender, you know, buzzing out. He doesn't know what's going on necessarily, that guy, but like he knows space. He knows anticipation because of that. That's kind of street smarts. So there's the other guy that that just can tell you anything and everything about all the different variations of man coverage and zone coverage and com combination. Um, and, but he may not be able to see it. 
And so I think you, there's a, there's the, the, the guy that really continues to grow there is the guy who is a student, but he also has incredible instincts um, that, that real, usually it goes back to reps. Uh, that's why you like to see that these, these young quarterbacks in the league get another chance and another chance. Cause it is, it's going to usually get better, but again, use it goes back to that guy that's been doing it his whole life. And, uh, and, and there's an instinct there and cause he knows it, you know, um, in sixth grade, if you throw up uh, an outcut late, you know, that it's going to be a pick six and that's just a sixth grade corner over there. Well, like, these things carry you carry over and they, they continue because we play this game that is, uh, that, that is similar from a young age to, uh, to an older one. But yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. And, um, and it's something that we're always trying to figure out. David, I just wanted to ask you one question about the process. You had mentioned earlier before, you know, you don't want to step on toes. Obviously you've known Daniel such a long time and I'm sure he leans on you a lot. So during the off season, when he comes to visit, I don't know if, if you have him for a week, two weeks, a month. Maybe you could explain a little bit about how that schedule works. But how much communication do you have with perhaps Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, who may say, hey, look, uh, David, we got a couple of things we'd like Daniel to work on. Could you do that for us while he's away? Yeah, I mean, usually that's relayed through Daniel. Um, and, um, you know, I, I do talk to the staff a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but it's not something, there's just a respect there, you know, and I think there's also a trust there. And, uh, I think when they trust Daniel, they trust Daniel that that he's going to make, you know, uh, educated decisions on who he's working with in the off season. They they don't need to babysit that guy. That guy, that guy's a a pro, right. (laughs) Um, you know, and I think the process, like, uh, again, I think, you know, just knowing, knowing your job and my job is to, um, always challenge him. Um, always, you know, uh, make sure he's, he's not content and he's not, he never has been, uh, but then, you know, continue to grow, um, last year, wasn't good enough, you know, and, um, and, you know, same token, there's, you, you, there's going to be moments of this position where, you know, that, that first, you know, first half, you may have three picks. And so there's, it's, it's, it is a lot that we do. And you, you then sometimes you got to remind people, Hey, you're, you're a top five quarterback in this league. Like you, why can't you be the best right now? You know, so I think there's a lot to it. Um, and I love all of it. You know what I mean? I love, I love grounding a guy and I love reminding a guy, you know, you know how good he is. Uh, and it's fun to, to wear those two hats. That's, that's the, that's the greatest thing about being a coach, right? You're really challenging guys, but also loving them and, uh, and being there through it all. And that's what makes it also fun. David, last one for me. I know you're very tight with obviously Coach Cutcliffe, the Mannings, and Eli. Are you tired of seeing him on TV at this point? I mean, I feel like you turn <laughs> on the TV and like every second he's in a commercial, he has his own show, he's on ESPN. Uh, what do you say? <laughs> I mean, first of all, did, did knowing what you know about Eli, did you ever think this was going to be him post football? Like, did you think he was going to be Mr. Media? And how do you even like talk to him about it? Well, you know, one one thing you learn about Eli early on is he's really talented. He, he can do, he can do about anything. Like he can do, he can sit down with a bunch of CEOs, fortune 100, you know, C- CEOs at a dinner and, and, you know, and steal the show, or he can be the listener. Uh, he can sit down, you know, he can be in front of a bunch of sixth grade quarterbacks, which he will be next week at Manning Passing Academy and, and coach them up and make, and, and make them feel like that, you know, the, that group of 10 quarterbacks is the most important thing in the world. 
Um, he has an incredible emotional intelligence. And not only that, he, he's the most humble guy I've ever met in my life. And so what, what I've learned from Eli just is so extensive, um, you know, from the way he carries himself to the, to the man he is, to the father he is, the husband he is. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. But I will say this, like I asked him, you know, for – year or two he's trying to figure it out he's just relaxing and he's like yeah i have no clue what i'm gonna die i mean i don't know you know next thing you know he's you know getting emmys or whatever and so so i think that's just uh there's a lot there There, there's you see there's a humility there that that we can all learn from but there's also like uh sometimes your your best gifts are 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 things that you don't even know and because it's so natural to you and so, you know, and, and I think that's, that's, that's E and E can do it all. And, uh, he never, he never, uh, takes himself too seriously. And, uh, and he's really funny and clever and, uh, good thing that these things are live television because, because there would be a lot more shots taken at these guys if it wasn't. Cause he's, he's, a, you, know, you know, how he is, he's a prankster and he's never oh, yeah. gonna let somebody, you know, you know, get the last word. So, uh, anyway, it's been a blast watching them. I'm really proud of them. Really am. You know, it sounds like, David, before we let you go, that this was really the perfect spot for Daniel because of who Eli is and the fact that they were able to intersect really was a tremendous benefit for the Giants. 100%. I mean, I I do believe that things happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, but just, just kind of – I think life is uh, what you make it, but it is so relationship-rich, you know. And um, I've been – I was so blessed by David Cutcliffe. I was so blessed, uh, you know, um, by Eli, although he did ruin my my football career at, at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, and then and then I've been so blessed by by Daniel. And then just to see the dots connect there um, and to, to be, a, you know, just a real small part of it, uh, it means a lot to me. I don't take it for granted. And uh, I do feel lucky to, you know, to call all those people close friends and uh, and honestly mentors. Uh and I do believe you can have a guy who's younger than you be a mentor because of the way they you know handle themselves and and who they are. So uh, I feel I feel blessed and fortunate to uh, have all those those people in my life. David Morris, founder of Quarterback Country. David, tell the folks anything you need them to, want them to know about what you're doing, what you're up to, information. Yeah. Put out there whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, so we are a quarterback training and development company. Uh, we start them young. Um, you know, there's Tony was one of our kids. We trained, uh, trained for a long time. Uh, but yeah, we start them young, um, uh, kind of youth, middle school, uh, all the way up to, to obviously high school, uh, college. Uh, we got 150 college quarterbacks right now, uh, playing at all the different levels. And I've been fortunate to train some really good ones in the league right now. So, so we train from top to bottom and, uh, and we have 12 locations across the United States, uh, kind of Jersey, Mickey Bruckner runs that location um, all the way west to, to Dallas, DFW, the Plano, Texas area. So uh, we love the field and and we love uh, looking a kid in the eye and um, and holding you know holding them accountable and, and and trying to grow them. So that's what we do. We train quarterbacks and uh, yeah, check it out qbcountry.com. David Morris, founder of Quarterback Country, he's a guy that taught Eli how to avoid that sack against the Patriots and that picture behind them on the wall I to help win Super Bowl Forty Two. It was all <laughs> David, right? All you? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. What quickness! I tell you, you certainly taught him speed, didn't you? <laughs> hey, got, got, hey, he's 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 stronger than you think, and he never quits. So that that's what that that's what that play was all about, right? Absolutely, David. Good stuff, man. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. You got it.
That's David Morris, founder of Quarterback Country. Great guy. Excellent talking to him, getting some insight on Daniel Jones, Eli Manning, and the quarterback uh, position in general, Paul. You know, it's amazing that we've come this far, you know, back in the day that they didn't have these quarterback schools, these offensive line schools, these wide receiver schools, these tight end schools now that during the offseason, these guys can actually go to a guru and spend a couple of weeks and try to sharpen specific points to their game that maybe they haven't gone through during the course of the season with their standard organizational coaches. Uh, the game is just so much more detailed, and there's so many more developmental programs out there that, you know, if you really want to, if you're a workaholic like a Daniel Jones is, you can find these, these methods to make you a better player. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so now let's get to our over-unders on defense, Paul. Lance did these with... Um, Howard, I know it was a Casillas. I think it was Casillas, right? No, it was Cross uh, earlier in the week. Now we're going to do our defensive over-unders here. We have uh, individuals and we have some team ones. That should take us to about 45 minutes an hour. And then we are going to say goodbye here, Paul. So uh, I kind of looked at the stats over the last couple years, saw the trajectory some of these guys are at, and I came up with some numbers here that hope uh, will be challenging for us with the over-unders here on defense for the Giants. So I decided to start with the guy with the best year for the Giants on defense last year. That's Dexter Lawrence. And Paul, one of the top three, four defensive tackles in the sport. Um, AP, second team All-Pro, Pro Bowl, really good player. Had seven and a half sacks. So that's where we're going to start here with Dexter Lawrence. And I put his over-under at seven. Both yeah. Cross and Lance went over here. I'll let you go first. I'm going to go under. Uh, I'll tell you something, John. This one had me gritting my teeth a little bit. I I'm think still gritting going, my teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to give him six because I think there will be that much more attention paid to him. Remember, last year was truly a career year in every category for Dexter Lawrence. It was a mega breakout season in every aspect of his game. Now the teams have an offseason to prepare a little better for him. I think that will make things a little more difficult. And I also believe that the Giants are going to want to do more schematically. Now that Thibodeau's back for his second season, hopefully Ojolari is healthy. Leonard Williams is healthy. Robinson and, and Nacho, right, have been added to the defensive line. So there should be some more snaps for those guys and fewer snaps for Williams and Lawrence. So I'm going to go six which may may still make him a Pro Bowl player with his overall all play, but I got to go under. Yeah, not many defensive tackles top seven sacks, and the ones that do pull are generally three techniques, right? Yeah. It's hard for a nose tackle to get seven sacks. Now, here's what had me going the other way, because I initially had under here, and then I rethought. I'm like, well, yes, but he really came on the second half of the year and was dominant. So does that carry over? Was that a blip? Is that really what's going to keep going? But I landed with you. I'm going to go under here. I think teams will pay more attention. But I think the important thing that you hit is I think his snaps will be down because of the additions of Ashawn Robinson and Nacho, that he will not have to play those 80 to 85% of the snaps anymore. And maybe his opportunities will go down a bit. So I'm going to go under here as well. Let's go. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Player number two, Leonard Williams, six and a half sacks. And I'm going to go over here. I think Leo actually gets more sacks than Dex. I think he's going to be healthy this year. I don't think there's any concern with that neck. He's still under 30 years old. He's in his prime. 
And he, he's going to be the guy playing, you know, in between the guard and tackle in that three technique. And I think he's going to have some good sack production this year. And he's heading into his contract year too, which, you know, is always a big motivation. So I'm going to go over here on Leonard Williams at six and a half. Yeah, I'm also going there as well for all the reasons you just mentioned, John. Now, he will get some reduced snaps as well because him and Dexter Lawrence have both indicated they expect that to happen. But I also think now that Leonard Williams is fully healthy and he's talked to us about how he rehabbed his neck with strength exercises and rest, I think you'll see him at full strength again this season. But on top of that, you said it. He's in the final year of his contract. And we know that that tends to be an extra push for guys, whether or not it's subconscious or it's a legitimate effort to improve their standing. But the other thing about this is that I don't think it's necessarily going to just be Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams running gains and and different pass rush things. I think if if you watch the Giants most of the time, it's going to be Ojolari over his shoulder. Thibodeau is usually on the other side where Williams is to that side of the line. Williams is usually on the side with Ojolari. A, a full season of Ojolari and a healthy Ojolari is going to allow some of that offensive tension to kind of go to the edge a little bit because they're going to be scared about him coming off the edge. Ojolari has tremendous bend and tremendous efficiency as a pass rusher. That may give Leonard Williams more one-on-one matchups where he's not getting chipped. So I'll say he gets eight sacks this year, which is over. All right, and then we're going to go to Ojolari. You kind of previewed this here, Paul. And, you know, I think, and I'll go first here because I'm excited about this one because I think he's the best pure pass rusher on the Giants right now. I think he's quick. He's got bend. He can win off the edge. And this is him heading into his third year. You know, last year in just, you know, seven games, he had five sacks, right? He had five and a half sacks in seven games. And in one of those games, he barely played because he got hurt in the game. So for me, I think he goes over here. Now, he's not going to continue on that pace and finish the year with 15 sacks or anything like that. It's just hard and wink system with the way they blitz so many guys. Quarterbacks get the ball out quickly. It makes it difficult. But I do think he's the best pure pass rusher on the team. So I'm going to go over here for Ojolari at seven and a half sacks. I think he'll finish with eight and a half. John, the only question here is his availability. Yep, it's his health. That's it. Because we know he's quick. He's athletic. He has a knack for finding the quarterback. He certainly has the bend. So the the durability factor is the only thing that's going to possibly prevent him from getting 10 sacks. I think he is a potential double-digit guy. So I'm going to go over as well. Okay. We both go over on him. Next is Kayvon Thibodeau. Paul Ellis, you lead off on his number. I have him at eight sacks. Well, it's funny, John, because we don't have one of the uh, categories saying it'll be even. Howard Cross asked me that last week when we were going over your numbers for the offense. He said, is there one that says that's a match? I said, no, Howard, it's got to be over or under. So I'll go over and I'll say Thibodeau gets nine. All right. Well, I think it's going to be hard for both Thibodeau and Ojolari to, to beat those numbers. Thibodeau only had four sacks last year. Two of them, he was completely untouched on those sacks. So I'm going to go under here. I think Ojolari has the bigger sack year this year, but Thibodeau is coming on strong, and I think he'll be well on his way to being a top edge rusher after the year, even if his sack totals might be limited by the system that he plays in in Wink Martindale's defense where quarterbacks are getting the ball out. So 
That's I'm going to go under on Thibodeau here. I think he finishes somewhere around six or seven. The key for the Giants, let's not fool ourselves, John, is that as a team, we know what Wink Martindale wants to do. It's all about pressure. It's not necessarily sacks. Yep. But in all honesty, I mean, if they finish somewhere in the vicinity of 45 sacks or so, that that's going to be okay. As long as they're getting the pressures that they want, 45 sacks will be a, a decent number. That'll, that'll be acceptable for them. And as we've said before, when Wink was in Baltimore, he never had a double-digit sack guy. Yep. And and we will get to that total sack, uh, total sack number as well <laughs> a little bit later on. All right, Bobby Okereke. The, I did only one tackle number here, Paul, because I don't like tackles. I just don't think it's a very telling stat. Teams track it differently. It, it's very difficult. I agree. So I put his over under at 135. Uh, he had 132 two years ago, 151 last year. Different team, though, different scheme. So I think that can be a little bit different. Where are you going with Okereke? I I just went over. I just went over because here, here was my rationale. We saw when Blake Martinez got to the Giants and we knew he was capable of putting up 150. He had done it before. And he did it when he got here to the Giants, too, before he got injured and then things went downhill. I'm looking at Okereke and I'm saying to myself, well, the Giants linebackers are primarily, they're looking to pass rush. You know, you want Thibodeau on the edge. You want Ojolari on the edge. If Fox or, or Zimenez are playing, uh, they're going to be on the edge. If Ward's in the game, Ward is trying to shut down the run from the edge. Well, that means Okereke, is, is he's the space linebacker. He's going to be roving between the tackles. He's even going to be going out to the sidelines sometimes. He should have a lot of room to operate. So I say he goes over 135. He'll have a ton of tackles. I agree with all that. And he's going to be on the field all the time, Paul. Like, he's not going to come no up. No question. Play. So I think just the number of snaps, he'll get there. And I'll go over on that as well. I don't think I have much more to add on that one. All right, let's go to Team Sacks. As you mentioned this, why don't we jump ahead here, Paul? Let's go to Team Sacks. I put the over-under at 45, the exact number that you mentioned. Where are you going on that? Uh, how about 46? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the price is right. I'm going to go over, John. You know, last year, I don't have it in front of me. I think they finished as a team last year. Let's see. I have it in front of me. I believe they it finished. Was, was with, it 44? I thought it was 40 exactly. Let me see here. Where's the Giants? Uh, last year, Giants finished with, oh, that's, uh, I think that might be offense. Sorry about that. Defense. Looking at sacks allowed, I want sacks made here. 42, 44, something like that. Last year, the Giants finished with 41 sacks. So I gave him a plus 41. four here on the sack number. Here's why I'm going to go under. Okay. A lot of times, Paul, sacks are the product of the quarterbacks that you're facing. And it's yes. out of your control. And I think the Giants are facing a better brand of and group of quarterbacks this year than they faced last year. So I think the Giants pass rush will be better. I think the pass yes. rush will be more effective. I think they're going to have more pressures. I think they're going to have more quarterback hits. But I think they're going to have fewer sacks because the quarterbacks they're facing will get the ball out a little bit quicker because I think it's a better group they're facing this year. I agree with everything you just said, but I'll add another layer, which is what put me to over a little bit. Sure. And that is, I think the Giants' rush defense will be much better. Mm. So teams will have to throw the ball more than they did last year because they had success running it at five yards a carry. I don't see that happening again this season. So more throwing attempts will give the Giants more opportunities to get those extra sacks. And I also think the Giants 
explosiveness on offense. I think they will score a little bit more, which may force teams to want to throw a little bit more. Also, no, I like that. I th- and 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 I, and I think that I think that sound. I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's go to interceptions, Paul. The Giants did well in turnover ratio last year, and we'll get to that number two. Uh, but they were not great in terms of getting interceptions. They finished with only six interceptions, which is tied for fewest in the league. Uh, I went with nine and a half for the over under this year. That would move them up around five or so spots and put them kind of closer to the, you know, middle court quartile or the or the third quartile in the league. Uh, so your thoughts on nine and a half picks for the Giants, over or under? Yeah, that's not a lot. You know, it's not it's not a great number. Um, but I just told you about how I think the Giants will force teams to throw a little bit more this year. More attempts means possibly more sacks, possibly means some more interceptions. I don't necessarily think it'll be a whole lot more, but I'm going to say lean towards the more. So I'll go over. Yeah, I'm going to go under, and it's just because of the scheme. You know, this is not a scheme that's it. set up to get picks. That You know, the sure. quarterbacks are playing a lot of men. They have their back to the quarterback. Adoree Jackson's mm-hmm. never been a big interception guy in his career. Maybe that changes, and if it does, I'm going to be wrong here, and it's and it's going to be over. You know, Deontay Banks is probably going to be the other starting corner. You know, he did not have a lot of interceptions in college. So right. I think for this to be over, it's going to be a lot of, like, batted passes, safety stuff. I was just going to say that, John. Like, I need some deflected balls at the line. No, look, and, and look, it's very possible that's going to happen. And, you know, interceptions are random, and it's hard to predict, right? So I almost hate yep. giving this number, but I think it's an important I know. One, so I decided to. And again, I'll go back to my fact okay. that to the fact that I think they're playing better quarterbacks this year. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll make fewer mistakes. So I'm going to go under here, but I could easily see this being over. Yeah, it won't be over by much, though. All right, turnover ratio, zero. Over would put you into the positive turnover ratio. Negative would put you into the negative. Last year, the Giants finished the year, I believe, at plus three, if memory serves me right, Paul. So where do you have them here over on their turnover ratio? Yeah, I, I'm still going to go over here. Uh, I believe in the discipline of this team. I believe that the Giants not only have a quarterback who understands ball security now because he's learned it and done such a beautiful job in recent times with it. Uh, Even if the Giants don't get a ton of turnovers themselves, I just don't think this is a team that's going to give up the ball very much. They didn't do it last year. I don't think they're going to do it again. And, John, you know this. I'm a big pet peeve guy on drop passes and deflected passes. Giants had 44 of those by my count last year. I think this receiving core, plus this tight end that they got named Darren Waller, much better at grabbing the ball and holding on to it and not having it you know, get deflected or tipped up or batted up or picked off. I'm going positive turnover ratio. Ironically, the Giants did not have, despite all those drops to your point, Paul, they did not have a lot of bad passes that went for interceptions last year. I know. Year. They were I know. actually I know. they were actually pretty lucky in that respect. No bad balls. They were very lucky. That turned into picks. Like they were fortunate in that way. So this thing has a tendency to swing back and forth. So I'm going to go under here because I think the Giants, to your previous point, are going to have to throw the football more because I think the opponents are going to score some more points because, again, there's a better group of quarterbacks. And I think that might force the Giants to be a little braver. And I said this when I did our over-unders with uh, with Howard on – or was it with Lance on offense? And we kind of went back and forth on Daniel. My point was I think they're going to try to get the ball down the field more. He's going to take some more chances yeah. into some tighter areas. I agree. And if that means more interceptions, but you get a bunch more explosive plays, 
I'm good with that. I'm cool with that. So I think he gets a few more picks. Maybe the luck runs out on not having those batted passes go for picks a little bit. So I think it's going to be under here, but I think the added advantage you get from having more explosive plays will make those couple extra turnovers here or there worth it. I, I do know this, John. I, the Giants are not going to be a fumble-itis offense. That's no. one thing for sure. Their, their guys hold on to the ball. So that number is almost assuredly going to be very low. And and so, but I understand everything you said, and I would not argue. All right, let's go to yards allowed uh, per game for the Giants here in terms of rankings. I'm bringing up last year's rankings right now, Paul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of sunk a little bit in this category later in the year as their schedule toughened up a little bit. They finished right. ranked 25th, allowing 358 yards per game on defense. Um which is okay, but you know, obviously I think you'd want that number to be a little bit better. So I did give them um, a little bit more of a lofty goal this year. I put it at 345 yards allowed per game. I'm going to go over here, and again, I hate to be a broken record, so I'll be quick this time. I just think you're playing better offenses. So, And I think the Giants will score more too. So I think other teams will be motivated to throw the ball more. So I think this in the end, uh, the Giants will allow more than 345 yards per game. You know, John, what's really interesting about this, I was inclined to agree with you, and then I started to twist and turn about it. Because I said to myself, can the Giants, the New York football Giants, actually become one of those teams that gets involved in track meets on Sunday? Because we think the offense will be better, and they're playing better offenses. Are we really going to see track meets involving the Giants? I think you know that goes against the grain. That is not something that we can swallow very well here. It's just not Giants football. So I do think, in spite of the fact that there'll be more explosiveness, probably on both sides of the ball, the the opponents and the Giants, I'm still going to go under. It won't be by much. I'll say the Giants probably are around 340 a game. I'll say it'll be a little bit less. And Because I think one of the things... I think one of the things, John, honestly, one of the things is because the rush defense was so porous last year, I have to believe that they are going to significantly improve that. And even if the passing is better, as you suggest, it, it might not make up the difference. Yeah. That, that, that That's actually a really good point. I agree with that. If they get down to 340, that'll have them ranked around 18th based on what the yards were yeah. last year, which would be a nice little pop. Of course, Wink just cares about points allowed, as he's told us many times. And and we will get to that number as well. Pass yards allowed per game, Paul. Uh, two twenty is the number I gave the Giants last year. They were two fourteen allowed per game. That was ranked fourteenth in the NFL. If they go to two twenty, that'll rank them around eighteenth in the NFL. Where do you have it here? Over or under? Uh, believe it or not, I've actually got the uh, the pass number at two twenty five. So that's over your 220 that you gave us to uh, to uh, check on. I also have over again. I go back to the quarterback, so I don't need to again yep. repeat myself again yep. and again. I agree. Run defense. I have it at 120. Uh, last year, the Giants uh, were a bit of a disaster in the run game, allowing 144 yards per game, 27th in the league. If they get down to 120 per game, Paul, that would rank them right dead center in the middle of the league around 15th. So, yep. I'm going to go under here. I think they've added so many people in the running game and Bobby O'Karake. I think the run defense is going to be significantly better. 
So I'm going to go under here. I think that a lot of progress here is made. And again, I think the Giants face a lot more passing teams this year than running teams. I think I said to you before, I, I figure maybe about 340 yards a game, right, on total defense. Mm -hmm. um, well, if I've got them at about 225 through the air, then that means about 115 on the ground. So I'm going to go under 120. Okay, perfect. All right. Now let's go to uh, points per game here, Paul. I put it at 21. Um, and last year, as I get my uh, rankings in front of me here, the Giants were have allowed 21.8 points per game, and that ranked them in the NFL around, let's see, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17th in the league at 21.8 points per game. Yeah. Where are you going here? Over <sighs> under. This goes back to what we talked about just a few questions ago. Can I see the Giants being involved in track meet games this year? Yeah, I probably could. But Wink Martindale has prided himself, even with a defense that gave up five yards of carry on the ground last year and gave up, what was it, 350-something yards a game, yep. which are numbers that they should they should try to clamp down on. They're going to do everything they can, obviously, to do that. But even with those high numbers, Wink Martindale's defense was outstanding in the red zone and really did a great job of keeping points off the board. So I'm going to go under and say they give up 20 and a half a game. I'm going to I'm this one kind of made my stomach turn, but I'm going to say under. I believe very much that Wink's priority of keeping points off the board is still the most important thing to him and that the other stats don't matter as much. Yeah, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to keep up their red zone defense to the extent they did last year. It was so good, so good. Fifth in the league, 49% touchdown rate. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep that that high, Paul. Even if it drops a little bit, that's going to mean more points. Yeah. We talked about the better offenses they're facing. So I'm going to go over here because I just think that red zone, the red zone defense can really fluctuate year to year, and I think that's going to be a tough thing for them to keep up. I don't blame you, John. I, I totally understand why you lean in that direction. I'm looking at this defense, though, and I honestly think that a healthier defense with Ojolari and Thibodeau and Williams all supposedly having better health, hopefully the secondary will have better health. We know they've upgraded with Okereke in the middle. I'm just thinking of myself, you know, and I know it's all if, but Wake may have better quality players at his disposal throughout the course of the season than he had last year. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so, there's any doubt. I, I totally agree so, with you there. So I'm going to, I'm going to show faith in his red zone scheming with the increased talent and say, he's able to still put the clamps on people. Paul, good stuff. My friend, this was fun. It was fun. Good stuff. We thank David Morris from quarterback country. Those are our defense offense uh, over under completed for the year, we'll have those and we'll track them at the end of the year to see who did poorly, who did bad. By the way, I'm not sure if we ever went through last year's, Paul, to be honest with you. So maybe on a show in a I couple don't remember. weeks, we can... <laughs> Honestly, there were so many injuries that half of them aren't even um, applicable because guys miss so many games. So Really? At some point when we get bored and we don't get a lot of calls on one of our opponent preview shows, we'll... We'll go through them, and, and we'll see exactly how bad. John, the one that. stat that mattered next year, or last year. Win-loss. The Giants got, the Giants, no, no. The Giants got to the second round of the playoffs. That's yep. the only stat that matters. That's absolutely true. For Paul Dettino, I'm John Schmelk. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Thanks for being with us on another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live.
Turns out, a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.